Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Informed Catholic Podcast. My name is Ned Jabbar. So let's start with a prayer, please. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. For the scripture reading of this episode, it's going to be from the second letter of St. Peter. Uh, it's going to be from chapter 2, starting from verse 1 all the way down to verse 10. It's titled, uh, False Prophets and Their Punishment. It's from the Revised Standard Version, uh, Second Catholic Edition. So let's start. But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themsel themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their lasciviousness, because of them the way of truth will be reviled. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. From of all their condemnation has not been idle, and their destruction has not been asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to pits of deepest darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven other persons, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. By, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction and made them an example to those who were to be ungodly. And he, he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the licentiousness of the wicked, for by what that righteous man saw and heard as he lived among them, he was vexed in his righteous soul, day after day with their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, sorry if I mispronounced the word licentiousness. It's, uh, it's a difficult word for me to pronounce for some reason. Uh, sorry that I didn't post anything last week. Um, I was sick. I came down with a serious cold. I still have some of it. 
um, still recovering. Um, so a lot happened. A lot happened um, in the Catholic world. And there's a lot to catch up with. Uh, you probably have heard, some of you, um, what's going on with the Amazonian Synod. Uh, there's been a lot of um, controversy ever since the opening of the Synod on October 4th, which was the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Um, the whole thing began in the garden, the papal garden. Uh, Pope Francis decided to plant a tree that day. There's a lot of symbolism going on there, if you notice. Uh, a garden, tree planting, and the fact it happened on the day of St. Francis of Assisi. It was also the first Friday of the month, uh, let me remind you, which was an important thing for Catholics because every first Friday is dedicated to the Sacred Heart. And also it happened to be the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, which our Holy Father happened to take the name Francis. But also, there is also a dark side to the whole thing. Unfortunately, the Amazonian in, uh, people, indigenous people, came chanting and singing in procession into the garden. And they performed a pagan ceremony. Uh, there was a lot of symbolic things that happened there. They had their own liturgical rites, uh, which offended, rightfully so, conservative Catholics. There was a lot of liberal activists there in the garden who were claiming to be activists who support and protect the Amazonian Indians. Let me just say, these people are actually liberation theology people. They support this Marxist ideology, which something that was embraced by Jesuits, which our Holy Father, Pope Francis, happens to be a member of the Jesuit order. Now, the best way to describe liberation theology is I heard Dr. Taylor Marshall in his podcast show. He described it as it is, um, it is authority driven from bottom up, meaning it gives power and authority to the people and it goes from bottom up. It's kind of the reverse of trickle down economics, which goes from top down. It is actually very false because it is an illusion. It, the people are given the illusion that they have power. They do not have power. It is a, a revolutionary thing. The idea behind it is to create a new world order. And let's not fool ourselves. The Amazonian Indians are used as props, trophies, for these organizations to uh, achieve their final end, their final goal. Now, it's been, it came out that there's a lot of outside money. Uh, the German bishops are very much invested in the liberation theology. Um, they are the richest diocese in Germany. They are the richest one. They have money. 
due to the fact that they collect their uh, donations and tithing from their parishioners through taxes. They're money-driven. It's not a secret. And there's a lot of money passing through, uh, through this Amazonian synod. They paid to bring these Amazonian indigenous people to the Vatican for this synod. The other part is there's also these idols, these idol sculpted uh, statues of pregnant females done in the manner and style of the Amazonian people, the artwork and everything. And there was a lot of bowing. There was a lot of uh, worshiping these idol statues. Some said it was the Virgin Mary. There were two of them in the garden. Some say it was the represented the Virgin Mary and St. Elizabeth. Actually, that wasn't true. It came out later on during talks and questions by reporters and the people sitting on the uh, panel had different answers. Uh, it represented fertility. It represented life. Um, but they came out that it represented Mother Earth, which is a deity. And the Amazonian people and around the region, up to Peru, they have what's called Pachimama. Um, in a Catholic podcast, which I respect, called Return to Tradition, Anthony Stein discovered in a website that Pachimama is her own complete deity. Uh, it came out in several different uh, podcasts and YouTube channels that she is Earth, she represents the trees, the plants, and when she's displeased, she actually um, sends earthquakes. And there is um, famine, I think. And of course, before the the pre-Columbian period, uh, she was quite harsh goddess and was very demanding. Another symbol came out that one of her other uh, characteristics is that she is represented as a snake, a serpent. Uh, some, uh, somehow she's represented in a sense that because the, from a, a serpent coming out of the volcano, sort of like a womb, and giving birth, and that she, uh, she's represented by that kind of like image, um, very diabolical. And although there are a lot of people who claim they know what this represents, I met a few people uh, last week and before, and they totally disagreed. Now, I think that's maybe they were told this or they chose an idea of what Pachimama is, but let's not fool ourselves. The, the Amazon Amazons are filled with different tribes and different people, but this is the image. If you go to a website, this is what they say. And this is how she's described. The sad problem is, is that this icon, this idol was placed in Santa Maria, Transfontane, uh, the Church of uh, St. Mary and the Church of the Three Fountains. It's found on the road, I believe, if I'm correct, 
that is on the road where St. Paul was executed. Now, this was a Carmelite church. And in that same church, there was also a poster that was set up. And it had a photograph on, on the poster of a woman, an Amazonian woman, breastfeeding her child. And another breast, she, it was a swamp water weasel. Some thought it was a dog. A lot of people didn't know what the animal was. But she let this creature breastfeed while she's breastfeeding her child. It's pretty gross. And it said in Spanish, all are connected. This is a pantheism. It's a pantheistic um, thing. And it's hard to believe that the nuns, these nuns, helped to set it up. Now, we went from the first week into the second week. Now we're into the last week. We're into the third week of the Amazonian Synod. And there was also another YouTube video that showed a young girl placed on a canoe. Um, it's interesting. There was a, a earlier in the garden, there was a Franciscan and this Franciscan had long hair. They always showed him from the behind and he knelt down along with these hippie Catholic activists. They were kneeling down worshiping to this or to the statue. They were paying homage. They, they placed their whole body. They went down on their knees and they, their foreheads touched the earth in homage. Um, it's just amazing. But later on, later on, uh, going into the second week, they showed a lot of people burning sage in Native Americans. They were burning sage. People were uh, waving their hands in, in prayer-like way to receive the sage. And he was touching people's foreheads with a, with a feather. A lot, a lot of them were wearing headdresses, feather headdresses. They were shaking maracas. They were chanting. And there was a scene in Santa Maria Transfontane. They were holding this plate and they were burning incense, some kind of incense or sage. And the people were, were all holding on to this plate offering. And they were swaying back and forth and chanting, playing guitars. Now, if that doesn't look like a pagan ritual service, what is? There was a lot going on that week. There, on one particular day, they, like I said, they had a young woman in a canoe and her face was painted. Painted the same way later on, I got a picture. There was a picture of the Franciscan who took part. And he had these facial paint markings. He was wearing sunglasses. It's very interesting. He looked pretty ominous. He had sunglasses on and he had a long face and he had a beard and he had the long hair. And he was dressed in a Franciscan garb and Franciscan habit. And he took part in this pagan ceremony. And, the, and this was, the Holy Father was sitting there. He was standing there and he saw the whole thing. He was approving it. Now, it's pretty disturbing. But I want to read a passage from the book of Exodus. So, uh, this is from the book of Exodus. Chapter 32, The Golden Calf. 
When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold at their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a molten calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel. who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. But out of you I will make a great nation. But Moses begged the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought up? out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent he brought them forth to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and repent of, the, of this evil against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he brought, which he thought to do to, the, to his people. Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, tables that were written on both sides and, and on the one side. And on the other were they written, and the tablets were the work of God, and the writings was the writing of God, graven upon the table, tables. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp, 
and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger turned hot, and he threw the tables out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it upon the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this, what did this people do to you that you have brought a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and there, and there came out this calf. And Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword on his side and go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell off the people that, that day about three thousand men. And Moses said, Today you have ordained yourself for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, that he may bestow blessings upon this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I shall go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, these people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, if not blot, blot me, I beg you out of your book, which you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against, against me, him will I blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord sent a plague upon the people, because they made the calf which Aaron made. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we have a pope who chose to... <laughs> allow the people to worship a pagan god. He permitted it. What does this mean? Well, it means we've entered a very dark part now in the history of the Catholic Church. Let's face it, we've never seen this. Now, uh, over the weekend, a couple of guys um, actually found out, when did we find out about this? It was actually Monday. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was Monday. Uh, a couple of guys went to the church early in the morning, just about sunrise, took five of the 
Pachimama idols or Pachimama idols. I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. And they cast it over a bridge. Uh, right where uh, Castle San Angelo. Uh, right by the statue of St. Michael. They threw all five of these carved wooden statues off the bridge into the Tiber River. Now, some people are claiming it's theft. Others are cheering. Because really, let's be honest. Let's look at this carefully. The Pope has ostracized Orthodox Catholics. He's mocked them. He's, mar he's mocked conservative priests. He's mocked conversions, proselytizing. He called con converts as though they were trophies. I'm a convert, and I don't really appreciate that. I don't appreciate that kind of mocking. Are we disrespecting the Pope? No. He is still the authority of the church. Let's face it. I don't know what canon law says about a Pope that does this. Because over the course of the first, after the first week, remember, there was an incident with um, Eugene Scafari, where the Pope, supposedly he claims the Pope denied the divinity of Christ, that he didn't believe Christ is God. There's been a lot throughout this weekend. There's been a lot uh, the last couple of two weeks. Now we're heading into third week and we still got more to see. Well, it's a lot. Now, what is it? Is the Pope a heretic? Uh, from my own personal view, my own personal opinion, it's not legit, but I would say, yeah, I would say he is a heretic. I know a lot of Catholics will probably get angry that I'm saying this because they're probably thinking I'm disrespecting the Pope. No, I am not denying that he is the Pope. I am not denying that he is the Pope. I am simply saying that because of all that has happened and what he did by allowing these, these things to happen, these people went into a procession. They did the Stations of the Cross and they came right into the church of Santa Maria Transfantani. And what did they do? They did not bow to the altar. They did not show respect to the tabernacle. They bowed they, 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 they placed their mats on the floor. They placed the images of the statues on the floor. They did a little pagan ritual dance by chanting and burning sage. They played guitar and they did not show any respect to the real presence. They didn't show any respect at all. This, this is ridiculous. How... We didn't go into their worship. We didn't go into their temple or their sacred forest or their high places. We didn't go there. They came to the Catholic Church. And now we're hearing all this kind of stuff that we have to come up with a, an Amazonian rite where they can incorporate their rituals in it. Basically, we're going to paganize the Mass. We're going to paganize the liturgy. This is what they're saying. And there isn't, we, there isn't a worth a spit 
on our opinion. We can't do a single thing to argue it. This is all heathenism. This is all heresy. They're going to ordain female deacons. Here's the thing. One of the bishops claimed that in 25 years that he has been in the Amazons, he has not baptized one Amazonian Indian. Others say 54 years. It doesn't make a difference. One single convert. Not one single convert. Not one baptism. And why are they asking to incorporate their rituals into a liturgy? To come up with a Amazonian liturgy? Why are they asking to do this if one if one bishop claims that not one single convert, not one single baptism, if they're claiming that they have a right to keep their rituals and the customs. So why this obsession with coming up with a liturgy? Why this obsession about married priests? Why this obsession about ordaining female de deacons? I just read to you this passage of the, the adulterous worship of the Israelites. What they did, they built a golden calf and they completely forgot about God. They completely forgot the 10 plagues. They completely forgot about the parting of the Red Sea and they went ahead and they worshiped. They built a golden calf, a golden calf. Moses comes down, grinds it to dust, puts it in the water, and makes them drink it. Aaron, who was supposed to be a high priest, went ahead and turned on Moses and made a golden calf. And then he says, oh, I just threw the gold in the fire and out came out the calf. I'm sure that went well with Moses. Now, I'm just saying to you, it's not hard to believe that this sort of thing could happen. Look what happened. In the first reading, which was from the second letter of St. Peter, Peter warned us that there will be men that will come and introduce destructive heresies. And there will be sexual immorality. Peter went over the whole history of, of destructive people, of people with who, who give in to the flesh, who give in to their to 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 disgusting sexual lives. They're obsessed with the material world. Paganism is not about divine revelation. This whole thing, what they're coming up, Cardinal Brand Mueller said that this is a modernist view about religion, which is an internal monologue with man himself. This is all about narcissism. Paganism does not look towards heaven. It all, it's all about looking into yourself. It's about what you feel and what feels good. And even if it's wrong, do it. This is what it's all about. They don't care about morality they don't care about they whatever make whatever is the mood they're going to do it
So uh, I'm going to read to you from uh, First Book of Kings, chapter 18, starting from verse 20. Uh, it's Elijah triumphs over the prophets of Baal. So Ahab sent to all the sons of Israel and gathered the people together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. And let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and laid on the wood, but put no fire to it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it, and you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God, and all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal. And from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped about the altar which they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry out loud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he has gone aside, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried out loud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the abolition. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one heeded. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around about the altar, filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the abolition, Elijah the prophet came near and said, 
O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are a God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I, I have done all that these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And then all the people saw it and they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and killed them there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, there you have it. I don't know why anyone is shocked that this heretical thing is happening. But this didn't come out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. First of all, this problem has been going on for more than 50 years since Vatican II. Let's face it, we know this has been going on since Vatican II. Ever since they started changing the church, they basically created a whole new church. They pushed all the teachings, all the catechisms, everything that we've had for almost... Well, 2,000 years or more, all the teachings of the church fathers were pushed to the back. The teachings of Irenaeus, Athanasius, uh, Ambrose, Augustine, everything was pushed all the way to the back of a closet and locked away. And they threw away the key. We had to dig through it to renew and keep the church alive. What did they do? They, what they did was afterward, they then came up with this Novus Ordo Mass. Uh, they changed the, the, the altar. They got rid of the altar rails. They, uh, there was even a case, a story about a priest who stood in front of the whole parish and took the rosary beads and tore it into pieces and let the beads fall over the floor. I mean, I've heard this. This is something I've heard more than once on several Catholic documentaries. They um, they got rid of all the beautiful uh, sanctuary art. They decided the priest should face the people. Then they started communion in the hands. And then you stop hearing about sin. And you stop hearing uh, about, you know, I mean, basically I heard a lot of mess. I've heard Catholics talk about this. That it was a mess. The church was a mess. And then for, for a long time, it felt like that the church was gone. It was a sad fact. And now we heard all kinds of different confusions going on. And I mean, I'll admit it. When I converted, I thought the, the homilies, the sermons were pretty boring, unexciting. Now, I heard that the homily, the sermon, is not technically part of the liturgy. But I'll tell you, I heard some pretty boring, 
boring sermons. A priest would talk about his weekly experience. It just, I mean, it sounded like they weren't interested. Many of them don't even look like they're bored. I mean, in my neighborhood, there's a Monsignor, and he was, you know, he didn't look like he was interested in hearing anything I was saying. He walked away, turned his back and walked away. He really, he really doesn't want to get involved. He doesn't mind giving you a little dry joke when he's giving the sermon, but it's like they're bored and worn out or they just like they're disgusted. These guys are not interested. They don't know what to do. And I don't even hear a quote from the catechism. I don't even quote from doctrine or dogma. They just don't know what to do. They're just like counting the weeks and months so they can retire. I learned everything about the faith from CDs, cassettes, from books. Earlier in in my conversion, it was difficult. Um, I didn't have the internet. I learned later on, um, you know, obviously when we had YouTube and everything, all my all my information comes from YouTube, from Dr. Taylor Marshall, LifeSite News. Um, it was EWTN. Later on, all that came from them, and nothing from my local parish. Um, my catechism. Uh, all came from information I had to seek after. At one time, I had a lot of books. I still have a lot of books on on Catholic teaching. Fulton Sheen. I have books on Fulton Sheen. I have Dr. Scott Hahn. It's all that, but not from my local parish. My catechism all comes from books and from internet and from podcasts. I still learn and I'm still learning about the Catholic faith from them and, you know, from other people. And I'm lucky I had uh, at least a close friend. I still have him. I hope one day to get him on the podcast to interview him. But what are we to do with all this is happening now? How are we going to handle this heresy. Let's face it, heresy has entered the church. Why is Pope Francis doing this? Well, he is a Jesuit and he holds on to liberation theology. According to some people in his earlier years, they said he fought liberation theology. I'll be honest with you, I think that was all show. I think that is all show. I think he really believes, like others, that the church has to change. He really embraced this idea that the church is human. His actions speak louder than his words. 
the fact that he signed the Abu Dhabi document, which says that God willed the many different variations of religion, that's actually a Freemasonic idea. It's an ideology that the Freemasons hold on to. They don't care what God you believe in as long as you believe in a God. They don't hold to the biblical view about God. It, the Freemasonic view is a deity. It's basically the God that creates the universe and like a clockmaker and lets it, lets it run on its own and doesn't get involved in his creation. It's not a personal God. It's a God who is a just creator, architect, that's it. I come from a Muslim background. Muslims do not believe Jesus Christ is God. They believe he's a prophet. They do not believe that, he, that God can have a son. It is insulting to them. I remember uh, Scott Hahn, who was going to have a debate with a Muslim, and he met the Muslim for lunch. And just to measure each other out, to see how they're going to answer each other, and he kept on referring to God as father. And this individual, this Muslim apologist, uh, was so offended, he slammed his fist down and told and said, stop calling Allah father. Allah is not father. And he answered, but you believe God is merciful and compassionate, right? Yes, God, Allah is merciful and compassionate. So which is greater, the mercy and compassion of a father is not a mercy and compassion of a father greater? And the Muslim answered, Allah is Lord, Allah is King, Allah is Master. Uh, let me just say that the word, the name for Allah in Arabic is Christian Arabs and Jewish Arabs will use the same word for Allah. And he said that Allah is Lord, King, and Master, but Allah is not a father. He said, but why? Why can't he be a father? And then he used this example. He said, I am going to go to another university to get my doctorate, he said. At least I think that's what he said at the time. But let me, it, I'm paraphrasing from memory. And therefore he said, I have a dog. I like this dog. I can't take him with me. Therefore, if I can't take him with me, I don't want to give him away. So therefore, I'll put him to sleep. I'll kill him. Now, Scott Hahn said, with love like that, who needs, who needs to see the hate? They never had the debate. The point is, Islam is about obedience. That's why the word Muslim means one who submits himself to the will of Allah. There is no personal relationship with God. God is not a father. He's correct. In Islam, he's never referred to as father. He is not a father. And this is something that many people have to understand. There is no redemption. There is no atonement. You don't. You will never know how many prayers. You will never know that your sins have been have been have been wiped out. You'll never know it. 
Now, many people who are um, activists, they don't like to hear this. It's very insulting to them. They don't want to hear the bad things about the religion. They only want to hear the good things about a religion. I was talking recently to a friend who wanted to, who wanted to um, he expressed that he'd rather hold on to the words of the Dalai Lama, that all religions are the same. That is not true. All religions are not the same. You know, it's funny, after 9-11, uh, there were some activists who always threw out, well, look what the Christian Crusades have done. That's actually, that's really unfair and it's really stupid. You could read the writings of the Crusades. The Crusades are a totally different thing. It was about liberating fellow Christians who were under oppression. It didn't go out the, the way it was supposed to. Didn't, the plans didn't work out the same way. People didn't get along with each other during the Crusades. There was a lot of politics involved. It wasn't executed very well. But it's wrong. It's stupid. And then everybody always has to associate Christianity with being white. With the new activism going on today. It's stupid. It's ridiculously stupid. It has nothing to do with it. Christianity is a Middle Eastern religion. It began in the Middle East. But it is the religion that gave us the civilization we have today. It was Christians who came up with hospitals, with, with uh, orphanages, homes, with welfare systems. It, it was interesting. In England, uh, Henry VIII abolished all the monasteries. It, the monasteries were the place where the people went during wintertime, during hard times, so they can get the food and clothes and medicine. The monks were willing to help, but he got rid of it. There was a serious problem in England, a starvation. There was no place for the people to go to. He broke up the monasteries and he sold the lands to the lords. He basically got rid of the safety net of his people. But you don't hear that from a lot of activists, from liberal activists. You don't hear that. You know, it's just ridiculous. It was just, you know, it's a ridiculous thing. And now you have the Pope thinking that he is doing a good thing. I don't know. I really don't know what is going on in his mind. I could only look at his actions and, re and read from his actions. I could only look at that. And unfortunately, that's the only way. And the actions speak louder than words. We know that Pope Francis has said one thing and he's done another thing. We know that when he came to America and he met that, um, I can't remember that woman's name, the one who refused to sign the, um, the marriage certificate for homosexuals. And um, she was charged or, you know, because of the, I know she lived in the South and um, Cardinal Vigano wanted to introduce the woman the lady to the Pope Francis. Pope Francis refused to publish any photographs with, with her. And then later on, he claimed he was greatly offended by this, um, this meeting. He didn't agree to this meeting. And then he, of course, he, he would say one thing about, about he doesn't agree with gay marriage. And then, of course, he then took a picture with a homosexual couple. 
Like I said, all I can do is judge him by his actions. And that's all I can do. I can't say anything more about the Holy Father. He's still the Pope. And I will respect him as Pope, but just because I respect him as Pope doesn't mean I have to agree with his actions. As a, as a Catholic lay person, I have to make a judgment. We have a right to make this judgment. We can pray for him. Pray that Pope Francis can turn away from the path he's going. Can turn away from, from what he's doing and stop it. Because I really f am afraid. I don't fear him destroying the church because I know he cannot destroy the church. Christ will never allow that to happen. But I do believe that him being Pope, that Christ permitted it so that he can expose the rot that's in the priesthood, the rot that's in the clergy that's going on right now. That's the only thing I can honestly say. I can't say anything more. And I know that Christ will only let him go so far. Because our Lord is the one who is in charge. This church does not belong to Pope Francis. It does not belong to, the, to these liberal cardinals and liberal bishops and liberal priests. It does not belong to the liberal Catholic activists. And it does not belong to pagans. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He is our king. We follow a king. We put our faith in a king, prophet, priest. He is our savior and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the eternal son of the father who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ. He died and he rose again. That is all. Pope Francis does not own this church. And trust me, Christ will make an example of him. And I believe, like those young men who took it, we, they had a right to do what they did. If those sculptors were in their temple, their pagan temple. They cannot put that in the church. Even in South America, they should not be allowed to put those sculptures in those churches, those idols in those churches, in the churches of South America. Not in the Catholic church. They have no right to do that. Catholics have a right to remove them to remove them from, from, from the Catholic Church. Not by an altar, not by a tabernacle. Not in a church, in any Catholic Church. What Pope Francis did was wrong. What he did was wrong, was absolutely wrong. And trust me on this one, Christ is going to deal with him. That's a frightening thing. It's a frightening thing. He should not keep going on this path. He has to turn away from it. And especially all those men. I'm going to say the word. They're, they're his cabal. 
the German bishops. I read to you the first, no, the second letter of Peter. It called them destructive heresies, people who, men who bring with them destructive heresies. And that they will revile the truth. They will revile and they will basically, you know, turn on, on the Lord who bought them, who bought them with his blood. They are wicked men. They are lustful, sensual men who basically love the world. The Christ they believe in is a totally different Christ. The church they believe in is a totally different church. It's a serious matter. They are men of the world. I'm going to end it right now. And uh, I will try to put out another episode later on this week. Uh, let's end it with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael, defend us. St. Peter and Paul, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God bless. We'll be back soon again.